A lifetime of hard work, children laughing in the kitchen, family photos on a restaurant wall, a legacy that lives on. It all comes from the power of a conversation, like the one Tommy Hall had with First Horizon Bank about taking over his father's Charleston-based restaurant business. Now the table is set for a whole new generation. First Horizon Bank, let's find a way. Go to firsthorizon.com slash Tommy. First Horizon Bank, member FDIC. Six, four, Welcome to another episode of the 643 Podcast with your host Dylan Short brought to you by 680 The Fan and the Dickey Broadcasting Corporation and maybe by you yourself. I don't know. Just throwing that out there. Uh, Braves baseball, no game today, unfortunately, as inclement weather cancels the game with Toronto. Um, Of course, it does on a day that I happen to not be at the other job and have a chance to sit down and watch another game. But, you know, whatever. Um. Preseason's moving along very quickly. Spring training's going to be wrapping up here shortly. The Braves did announce a couple moves yesterday to get their roster down to 52 members. Uh, as Drew Waters and Tuki Toussaint were sent down, uh, you're starting to see a lot more of these starters play a little bit longer. I believe Matt Olson actually had three at-bats yesterday. Uh, a lot of the starters had multiple at-bats. You can see everybody kind of getting ready and, and getting trimmed down and raring to go for the spring. There's not a lot of camp battles going on uh, for the Braves. Pretty much every spot is spoken for on the team, with the exception of the fourth and fifth starters. And I think we have some clarity on that now. Brian Snicker, uh, after yesterday's game, kind of intimating that it's Waskar Noah and Kyle Wright's spot to lose. Uh, Kyle Wright, who who got a little bit of action yesterday, he started the game uh, against the Rays. It wasn't really their A-team lineup. It was a, a, a lot of their backups, but they did a uh, – Kyle Wright was very, very good, and that's what you really wanted to see. You don't really care about the competition level quite as much during spring. You're really just looking for how the guys look. Kyle Wright went three innings yesterday, gave up three hits, only one walk with two strikeouts. Uh, Waskar, I know the day before, ended up with three innings of his own. So that's kind of how you can tell who's leading towards where. Um, you got a lot of work in from some of the other guys. Darren O'Day got his first work spring, I believe that was. Sean Newcomb uh, has pitched very well this spring. Three strikeouts in two innings for him. A.J. Minter coming off of a, uh, of a arbitration settlement. I believe it was $2.2 million. Uh, A.J. Minter worked a pretty clean inning, gave up one hit, one walk, but had two strikeouts, which we kind of see from him all the time. Uh, and you're starting to see the lineup really starting to shake out. And Eddie Rosario, Ozzy Albies, Matt Olson, Marcelo Zuna, Austin Riley, Adam Duvall, Dansby Swanson, and then Manny Pena with Orlando Arcia as the DH. Most of that is what you're going to see. Um, that is probably what you're going to see for, for your starting lineup, at least until Ronald Acuna gets back, with the exception of uh, replace Manny Pena with, uh, with Travis Darnot. And the DH slot, uh, I can guarantee you, will not be Orlando Arcia. Uh Good news for the Braves. I mean, they tied 7-7 if you care about that thing. But really what I'm looking at is the types of swings that the Braves guys are putting on. And for the most part, pretty much everybody looks like they're ready and raring to go. Austin Riley hit two home runs yesterday, a couple of mammoth ones. Dansby Swanson hit a majestic homer of his own. 
Um, the, the Braves are in very good shape. I don't want to seem like I'm just being a homer, even though I kind of am, because obviously this is a Braves podcast. Um, this offense, get ready for some real fireworks. This is probably the best offense we'll have ever seen in Braves history, up and down the lineup all the way through. This is a ridiculously good lineup once Ronald Acuna gets added back into it, obviously. Um, there, there is... There, there is almost limitless potential with this offense. There, there, it, it is so good up and down. There, there's no easy outs in this lineup. When the worst hitter in your lineup is Dansby or Travis Darno, that's a pretty dang good lineup. Um, you can kind of, really, you can kind of mess them however you want. You just know that the first month until Ronald Acuna's back, if it really does take a month, I kind of have my doubts that it will. Uh, you're just kind of going around looking at, well, what can you? How can you screw it up? And I don't see much, and I don't see many ways that you could screw this off, this lineup up, which is good. Uh, make it easy on the coach. It doesn't have to be a bad thing about Snicker. Just, you know, in, in any situation, you want your team to be as, as mistake-proof as possible. So the best way to win in Major League Baseball is have the best players. And uh, the Braves certainly are uh, making a running for that. There's not as many big-name former uh, MVP-type players as, like, the Dodgers lineup. But this is the, this is the most ridiculous Braves lineup we've seen um, there, there have probably been a couple that you could argue with this back in, back in time, but at least in my opinion, this is the, the deepest the lineup has been. Yes, you lose Freddie, but you replace him with Matt Olson, who actually might be a touch more valuable than Freddie offensively. Uh, you, you have, you know, Dansby Swanson is, is kind of average, but he's added a bunch of power, which is super important. And when you're telling me that, uh, you've got a 27 to 30 home run type of guy batting eighth or ninth in your order. That kind of lets you know exactly what this lineup is. Now, we talked about the rotation on Tuesday. Uh, and I was really just using that to, to say how annoyed I get when people just kind of assume Waskar Noah is a bullpen arm. Um, so I was glad to see to hear Snicker kind of confirm that Waskar is the guy for the fourth spot. And Kyle Wright right now is probably the front runner for the fifth. Um, with those two guys, you do have those kind of caveats, uh, especially with Wright, but but with Waskar as well about uh, while they may be penciled in there, they do stuff to perform to keep that spot. And with Waskar, we need to see um, if he's fully over the shoulder injury that's kind of held him back a little bit towards the end of last year. I think last year was more a function of he got he got fatigued, um, came back from the hand injury, wasn't quite the same, uh, and then had the shoulder fatigue after that, which kept him out for the offseason up until Tuesday, which was his, his first game. Uh, but if he's if he's on point, his command is so good. And you actually saw him throw the change up a fair bit on Tuesday, which was it's a very important pitch. We talked about that on Tuesday. That's a very important pitch for Waskar Noah. If he can get that pitch to just be something that he can use uh, in every game rather than just throw one or two, if it's something that can be part of his actual arsenal, even if it's a even if it's a pretty distant third, doesn't really matter. That increases the the deception that he's going to have, uh, and it's it's just going to do nothing but help him. Kyle Wright is one of these guys that we've been waiting on. We've talked about Kyle Wright before, too. Um, I haven't always been Kyle Wright's biggest fan. Uh, his pure arm talent, he's got hes got good arm talent. All the way back, going to his time at Vanderbilt. It's never been a question of, of his skill level. Uh, with Kyle, it tends to be a lot more mental. Which is why I, I kind of... I'm in the same boat I am with Newcomb, where I don't... I, I'm not really concerned with what he does one time. I need to see him do it multiple times and preferably in the regular season before I really take off and just say that Kyle Wright's figured it out. But there's always that potential. Kyle Wright was a guy that even though he was a, a senior draft, he was a, a lot more raw than most senior pitchers are. So there, there was a lot of growing there. There was even going into the draft. There were there were people talking about 
that it would take a little bit for Kyle Wright to really reach what he was supposed to. And the Braves pushed him extremely aggressively. And he did very well in the minors. And his minor league numbers have, have actually been pretty good for the most part. It's really just he can't seem to get over that major league hump. But now he has to. This is He's at that moment in his career where, at least with the Braves, he's got to bleep or get off the pot here. And, and there's a number of... of Brave starters that are in that kind of same boat. Tuki Toussaint, who already got sent down, uh, he's in that he's in that mold right now. Sean Newcomb doesn't have any options left. Um, Kyle Muller is not there yet. Uh, Tucker Davidson wouldn't re- I I wouldn't say Tucker's in the same boat as the other guys. But when you're talking about this glut of pitchers in this same level, including the guy that we're going to talk about in our minor league segment today you don't have as many chances to kind of fail and reestablish as you did in previous Braves regimes. While the Braves farm system is not as loaded as it was even two years ago, a lot of these guys who have graduated are still right at that same level of, of being a little too good for AAA, haven't established themselves on the major league roster yet. And that creates a ton of competition, which is a good thing. Uh, it, I'll say it's good and bad. It's mostly good. Uh, When you have that type of competition, it does help these players get sharper, and it does separate the guys who have that extra level that they just haven't figured out yet. It does kind of propel them forward. On the downside of that, it does mean that they don't have as as much opportunity to learn at the big league level because you're not a rebuilding team. You're not the Pirates. You're not going to be able to just sit there and let people get hammered when you're trying to win a World Series. So you do have uh, a little bit more of an emphasis on immediate results. Usually the prospects, you want to go the the process over results card. Uh, but when you're a team like the Braves or anybody that's really contending for a World, World Series, you don't have time or space on the big league roster to do that. Uh, luckily for the Braves, they have Mark Merrith, uh, who is – personally, I think Mark Merrith should probably already be the Braves pitching coach. Um, he, he's absolutely phenomenal. Anybody that works with him tells you. And then when you see these guys, when they struggle with the big league roster, they go down to Gwinnett. They work with Mark Merrith pretty much exclusively. And all of a sudden, he figures out something, and they come back better than than when they got sent down. That's a very, very big deal. I want to see Mark Merrith get his shot as the actual pitching coach of the big league team rather than having to send guys down to Gwinnett to get him to work with him. Uh, overall, though, I did talk about Riley and Dan with the home runs. That can kind of let you know that this this offense is ready and raring to go. Defensively, you know, the infield defense is going to be very good. I'm interested to see how this goes down uh, with the with the shift kind of change now where you have to keep two players on on uh, left and right of the bag. You can't just overload on one side. That's certainly going to help some hitters, guys like Joey Gallo, who are, are notorious shift-heavy hitters. Um, but I think it also is going to give a... I think it's going to help Austin Riley, quite frankly. Austin has very soft hands. We've talked about it before. He's got really good defensive actions at third base. He knows what he's doing. He, he's agile, way more agile and athletic than you would think, looking at his size. His, his biggest issue has been, one... When he gets thrown into the shift early on last year, when the Braves were shifting, they were playing Austin at shortstop, which was <laughs> didn't turn out well. Uh, after a little while, they they transitioned and moved him into the the short right field role in the shift and left Dansby on the left side of the infield, which you probably should do. If you're going to leave one player on one side of the infield, it should probably be your shortstop, the guy with the most range. Um, but you're not going to see that this year. So I think that's actually going to help Austin. It's more about the throw accuracy a little bit. Uh, generally early in a game, he, he tends to, to bury one and hop it or, or tends to sail one before he gets locked in, locked in. That kind of reflects badly in his outs above average and things like that. But uh, when you when you watch him play, Austin is a guy that I would consider to be I would consider to be above average fielder. 
Uh, I think his his arm is very strong. There's no throw he can't make. It's just about accuracy and, and dialing in every time. And I think I think that's something that'll come. That'll that'll just that'll iron itself out in time. Um, and then you'll see Austin Riley. I don't really like to use the term being a Gold Glove caliber defensive player because Gold Gloves have really never uh, reflected good defenders. Um, occasionally, a guy is so good that he gets the gold glove anyway, but a lot of times gold gloves are more just popularity contests. When you see Derek Jeter with five gold gloves, that's how you kind of know that it, it, it's not really uh, the best fielder award. It's it's really just a, hey, this is a guy who we like and is super popular, so we'll give him the gold glove. Um, but when you look at when you look at their actions and you look at the way he fields, I don't see... I don't see a ton of third basemen that are better defenders than Austin Riley. Uh, it's one of the reasons that people are kind of mad at the MLB Network's list as far as the top players. Austin Riley didn't even feature on the top 10 third basemen, which is absolutely ridiculous. There are, I, I'm here to tell you right now, there's not 10 third basemen you take off over Austin Riley right now. There's not five that you would take over Austin Riley. Uh, and for those of you who I've mentioned before who, who've been listening to me for years, you know for me to say that that it's something that I really and truly believe. Um other notes just from uh, just just from the spring before we get into our uh, prospect segment here. Vaughn Grissom just keeps hitting, man. Uh, I, I cannot tell you how much I love this prospect. I think Vaughn Grissom is going to be a monster, and I think there's a lot of power to come. He shows a lot of good traits. He shows we've talked about it before his patience at the plate, his pitch recognition, uh, his his just overall eye and his demeanor at the plate. They're so far beyond his years and his his experience level. It's a great sign. He's got good bat speed. He's got a a good relaxed stance, very symmetrical with his swing. What I mean by symmetrical is he's not, uh, not overly leaned over. Uh, he, he stays in line with his body, his hips and his, his lower half stays in tune with each other. And he's, he's just because of it, he's got a very fluid, very smooth swing. And that's what I look for when I'm looking to see guys who maybe aren't the biggest types, but who can generate good power. Bat speed is, is, one of the biggest indicators for power success, because obviously the the more you can rotate, the more rotational power you generate. That's how that's how guys like Ronald Acuna hit 500 foot home runs. Even though Ronald Acuna is about 200 and maybe 210 pounds at the absolute most, I'd probably say closer to 200. Um, that's how you see guys like who are built like him, six foot, 200 pounds, generating enough force and velocity to go. F- 460 on the regular, topping 495, 500 pretty easily with you know hitting them 100 and. 110 plus mile an hour laser beams that's that's how you get that and, and Von Grissom while he's not the level of athlete not the level explosion of of like Ronald Acuna um he's he's very athletic and he's very underrated athletically I don't know where he's going to end up defensively I I hope that he can work enough to stay at shortstop because I I've got a thing for big shortstops I'm not going to lie you tell me you've got a 6'3 185 guy who has 30 home run potential might not be the best fielder um, but can play shortstop and has has the arm actions for it and the 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 quick release for it. I'm all over that, man. I love me a big shortstop. And Von Grissom is one of those guys that I I don't want to see him transition to the outfield. I have no doubts that he could. Uh, I have no doubts that he could play third base, but there there's no spot for that here. Um, obviously, you're not moving Austin Riley off of third base. I think if 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 Von Grissom were to have to move, he'd have to move to an outfield spot. He'd have to move to, to probably left field. Uh, and that's not something that I particularly want to see. Uh, I think that the Braves are going to work as hard as they can to get his defense more up to speed this year. I think he and Michael Harris both will start at Double A, and I think you'll uh, 
I think Braves fans will be very, very excited for them. Even if our farm system says 28th or 29th, there are still a few guys in this system that you can look at and go, those, those are top 100 guys. And Fawn Grissom and, and uh, Michael Harris are definitely some of those. Um, now, it does appear, before final thing before we get into our prospect segment, everybody wants to know about Ronald Acuna. When is he going to be back? When is he going to be playing in the field? Uh, we're going to see him DH before he gets into the field. As it stands right now, I believe Alex said the other day, it was either yesterday or Tuesday, um, that Ronald is on track to be in the field at the start of May, which is uh, a good bit different than what we were hearing before when it was looking like he would DH towards the uh, towards the end of April and then get back into the field towards the end of May. Looks like there's not going to be so any such compunctions. I think... Honestly, I think if you wanted to, you could start Ronald. You could have Ronald hitting to start the season. I think Ronald is going to be pushing for that heavily. Uh, I'm not going to rule out the possibility that he ends up being the DH until he's ready to get in the field. But from what Alex said uh, the other day, it is that he's going to be ready to hit and be in the field at the start of May. Um, He's not really wearing his brace. He looks back to his normal explosive self. I think if you really do hold him out for a month, not hitting or fielding, I think it's more about the Braves being overly cautious. Which is not a bad idea. It's a good thing to do that because he is your franchise cornerstone. And just because he's a freak, you don't want to challenge. You don't want to challenge uh, the baseball gods or karma too too much. That's not normally something that's going to work out very well. Uh, so I'm fine with him kind of slow walking Ronald, saving him from his from himself a little bit. But one thing's for sure, when he gets back into this lineup, this is going to be an absolute banger of a lineup. This is one that I think is going to shatter home run records. This is one that I think is going to be a short list of all-time Braves offenses. This is, this is that good of an offense, and I still don't think the Braves are all the way done. I think there's other things that they could do. Maybe they look at another starting pitcher. Maybe one of these other teams that previously was maybe uh, holding out for a insane amount of, of prospect capital, maybe trades a, a guy, maybe somebody falls out of the race fairly early and decides to get the, the highest compensation possible for a player and decides to move him early. I don't know. We'll see. But there's one thing that's for sure. This Braves team is built to win. Uh, their bullpen is elite. They might have the best bullpen in baseball, quite frankly. Uh, if not the best, it's, it's definitely in the top five. Uh, they return basically everybody from last year, and you added Colin McHugh and Kenley Jansen on top of that. This is... This is a shortlist bullpen as well. Every area of this team, except for starting pitching, is shortlist for the Braves of all time. That's how good this is. Um, and one of the guys that could feature in this role prominently, if, if the Braves so choose or if they need him, is our prospect spotlight player of today, Spencer Strider. Now, you guys have seen Strider's fierce mustache. Uh, if you watched the game, uh, if you watched on Tuesday, you got to see Strider get in there. And Strider is a guy that he's going to light up radar guns. And I mean, light them up, light them up. He has absolutely ridiculous velocity. Uh, I believe he had of the 10 fastest pitches uh, of spring. Spencer Strider has like five or seven of them. It's it's insane. He sits 97 to a hundred. Like he generally sits 99, a hundred when he's going in short stints. And he went two innings on Tuesday did give up four hits, but had three Ks. And that's kind of that weird dynamic that Strider's in right now. It's a little bit of an odd profile currently, where he's got this premium velocity. The movement on his secondaries is really, really good. The command isn't always perfect, but his, his stuff is so good that he's still able to generate just tons of whiffs. Uh, and that's, that's one of your key indicators for stuff is how many, how many swings and misses can you generate, whether in the zone or out of the zone, how many whiffs do you generate? And, and Strider... He generates a ton of them just on his four-seam fastball. 
has good life on it, has good spin rates on it, plays really well up in the zone, which is what you want to see from those high-velocity fastballs. And he pairs it with that slider that he modeled after Luke Jackson's, which is just a devastating pitch. You're starting to see most Atlanta guys, most Atlanta arms who are coming in and developing a slider, they're developing that type of pitch. And it's, it's absolutely devastating if you can get a handle on it. If you can throw it for strikes, then it's pretty much an unhittable slider. You've seen it with Luke Jackson. It's, it's, it's that level of, of secondary. Uh, he's still kind of getting that one around. So while he does have just <laughs> breathtaking stuff, he does still have a little bit of, of refining to do with his command. His control's not too bad. He, he, a guy like Strider who throws the way Strider does, who's a little bit undersized but has just a rocket attached to his arm, there's always going to be a, a, a good chance that, that he can struggle with walk rates from time to time. So I don't generally look at guys who are going to be 10-plus strikeouts per nine type of guys and think that they have to be under three for the walk rates. That's beautiful if they are. Uh, but generally, you know, if you can tell me that you're under four, then I think that that's good enough to remain a starter. If you tell me that you're a, a, a 10 or 11 K per nine guy and your walk rate is, you know, 3.8 walks per nine, even right up at four, then, then you can get away with that, especially if you're not counting on him to be the, the one on your staff. Um, where you kind of get a little bit tricky is once you get into the, to the mid to high fours, then all of a sudden you start talking about reliever risk. And if you're being honest, there's, there's pretty significant reliever risk with Spencer Strider. Anytime you're talking about a guy with that type of arm strength, uh, and that type of frame, then there's obviously reliever risk. And I don't really consider it reliever risk, quote unquote, because it's not like it's a risky proposition. I mean, if, if you have to move Strider to the bullpen, you're talking about a guy that's going to throw 99 to 100 every single time he throws a fastball. You were talking about shortlist elite level stuff for a closer, a closer who would have three to four pitches. It's just absolutely nasty, who could also go multiple innings if you needed to. There's there's so many, there's so many things that Spencer Strider could do. The Braves are obviously going to start him until he shows that he needs to go to the pen. And that's the, that's the right thing to do. I mean, let him, let him work multiple innings, let him work on trying to be a starter. See if he can harness his stuff for multiple innings and keep that velocity. He's done it so far in the lower minors, but I think you're going to see Strider in AAA to start this year. I think you're going to see him as one of the starters in that rotation. And I think that he's got, he could jump any of these other starters on this list. I think that he's got, he's got the most premium arm right now, uh, I think his stuff and Waskar Noah's is fairly similar, although I think Strider has Strider has a better spin on his four-seam fastball, which lets it play better up in the zone than Waskar's. Uh, while Waskar has better command than Strider currently, um, the fact that you have two guys like that who can run it up to 100, who have devastating sliders, um, and Strider actually has a third pitch. His changeup is actually pretty good. It actually can flash above average and plus. He just doesn't throw it all that often. Uh, and he has, I believe he has a curveball too that he kind of shelved in favor of the slider. Um, Strider does have that kind of mentality. And Strider is a really, really smart guy who's very data driven. He knows a lot about spin rates and how to adjust spin rates. And he knows a lot about pitch shapes. You can see that when you start developing pitches, like when he goes from a, a curveball or a normal slider to kind of kind of changing the shape on that pitch to give it more like the Luke Jackson, which is technically like a slurve, but thrown much, much harder than a typical slurve is. Typically when you use the word slurve, slider curve, it's usually it's usually not a compliment. It usually means that you have an in-between pitch, which means you have Good break on it, but it's really slow and not sharp. When you're talking about a slider, the faster and sharper the break for the slider, the faster the slider and the sharper the break, usually the better the slider. For the curveball, you're just kind of looking for, for sharpness and when you can break that off. Sweeping, sweeping curves look cool, but sweeping curves are not generally 
uh, what I would call very effective pitches in the big leagues. Uh, and I know Max Freed's moves a lot. That is not a sweeping curve. Max is a very sharp breaking curve. So like when you're talking about a sweeping curve, think about like Sean Newcomb's, one that kind of does that big arc in the air. That's more of a sweeper. Max's will get that big vertical drop and have a lot of horizontal movement too, but it's very sharp where it doesn't start breaking until about 55, 56 feet. That's what you look for in those pitches. So when you talk about a slur, if you're talking about something that's kind of loopy and doesn't really have a defined shape, that is not what you see with Spencer Strider or with Luke Jackson or really any of these guys that have been modeling their sliders after Luke's. And that's awesome because that plays off that heater so, so well. So I think you'll definitely see him in AAA, but you are 100% going to see him in the big leagues this year. Uh, I don't know whether it'll be – I wouldn't be shocked if it's a couple spot starts here and there. I think if the Braves decide they just have to have his arm in the club, I think you'd see him come out of the bullpen. Um, but I think there's a fair chance you can see him kind of surpass some of the guys in front of him. Uh, Strider's a guy that if he shows he can handle a starter's workload for five, six innings and carry that premium velocity, and he can – uh, if he can kind of keep his command in check to where when he does get barreled, he's not getting barreled hard, which is, I think that is probably the hardest thing for high velocity young pitchers to to get out of there, to 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 figure out how to throw that hard and to put the ball where you need to put it to not get hit hard in return because. Obviously, you guys have all heard the old adage, old adage uh, coming in hard, going out harder, uh, or however you want to say it. You've heard that some, some form of that phrase somewhere along the lines of when, you, when it comes in fast, it leaves the bat faster. That is true to a point. That's why a lot of these premium velocity guys, if they don't have pinpoint command, they'll get hit hard because if you, if you time up and turn around a 100-mile-an-hour fastball, you're only going to add velocity onto it. So that's kind of the, that's kind of the last thing that guys like Waskar or Spencer Strider uh, or even Freddie Tarnock when he's coming out of the bullpen throwing 96 to 98, that's kind of that last bit for them. Uh, figure out where to place your pitches so that even if they do make contact, even if you don't get that swing and miss, there, it's not on the barrel of the bat to where they're going to roll over on it or they're going to pop it up or it's very easy. That's why you'll see a lot of really high-velocity guys uh, – tend to, to work inside on hitters with their fastball. It cuts down on the reaction time for the hitter. The hitter's got to be way out in front of it to try to get it on the barrel of the bat, which means that now your off-speed, your secondary pitches are that much more devastating. I think you'll see that with Spencer Strider. Him working with Mark Merrith for however long he's in AAA, that is going to be something to absolutely drool over. This is, a, this is a phenomenal, phenomenal prospect. It's another one. You'll see Spencer Strider in the top 100s very soon. Um, he, he's going to have to show it for a little bit this year. But once he once he gets onto it, I, I will not be shocked if by the midseason deadline um, or the midseason update for for top 100s, Spencer Strider is sitting on there as well. He's he's got that absolute rock of an arm. He's he's a very very high end type of starting pitching talent. Uh, it's it's just about how long can it last, and if he can get that command down even better on his fastball, that strikeout rate is going to explode, and that's something that everybody should be wanting to see. This is a guy that's going to be a lot of fun to watch, whether it's in the starting rotation or in the bullpen, but as it stands now, that's going to go ahead and end our Thursday show. We will end for the week. Thank you guys for tuning in, and I will be back on Tuesday on the 643 Podcast. <laughs> That's all, folks. Spring is here and baseball is back. 
You can't forget the derby. I love the hats. Do you have yours yet? My hat? I treated myself to a whole outfit. If you want to be able to treat yourself, then you should check out the Nest Savings Account at LGE Community Credit Union, where they want you to reach your savings goals faster. Take it from a pair of 680 The Fan wives. Head to lgeccu.org to find out what makes their team number one in Georgia. Support for Extra 106.3 comes from Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy, celebrating their 35th anniversary and offering gift cards in-store and online. You can discover Mother's Day and anniversary presents online at Natural Body Spa and Skin Remedy at naturalbody.com. The fan is ready for brave season. Are you? 3-1 smoked high in the air, deep center field, and heading for the horizon. A home run by Olsen. We're streaming every game of the Braves 2024 season free on the 680 The Fan app. So make sure you download it now and don't miss a pitch of the Braves this season.